Hey there, WNBA Nation. This is Jason, co-host, editor of the show. Just wanted to jump on mic real quick and let y'all know uh, that this is a re-release of a previous episode. So for the end of the year, we thought that it would be fun uh, to to look back at a W history that Steve put together, uh, looking at the rookie year of Candace Parker. Now, this is a three-part episode. Uh, so today's going to be part one. Uh, today's the 29th as this releases. Then we've got the 30th and 31st. So the last three days of the year, uh, we're going to look back at Candace Parker's rookie year, given what a phenomenal year that she had. So that's what you're listening to. I hope you enjoy it. If you're stuck in holiday travel or if you're stuck at family's house and you just kind of want some time to yourself, hopefully this is a good escape for you and you enjoy it. And uh, yeah, we'll come out with some new episodes at the beginning of the new year. But for for the, the end of this year, for the end of 2021, we hope you enjoy W History, the look back on the rookie year of Candace Parker. The song Rocky Top, written by Felice and Bodolo Bryant in 1967, has become so synonymous with the University of Tennessee, it was ranked as the number one college fight song in America by USA Today in 2015. Which is interesting because that isn't even UT's official fight song. The song lyrics are depicted as, quote, a city dweller's lamentation over the loss of a simpler and freer existence in the hills of Tennessee, close quote. It starts with a simple reminiscence. Wish I was on old Rocky Top, down in the Tennessee hills. Ain't no smoggy smoke on Rocky Top. Ain't no telephone bills. The song ends depicting a sorry reality. I've had years of cramped up city life, trapped like a duck in a pen. All I know is it's a pity life. Can't be simple again. In a way, the song is a perfect representation of Candace Parker's entrance into the WNBA. By the end of 2008, Parker had taken the city of Los Angeles by storm. She adjusted to that cramped up city life by doling out quite possibly the greatest rookie season in the history of professional basketball and had all the hardware to prove it. But to truly appreciate the magnitude of Parker's entry into the league, we have to understand the path that got her there to what started the initial buzz that very quickly became a full-on roar. We have to go back to old Rocky Top. This is part one of the story of Candace Parker's historic rookie season. This is W History. WNBA Nation, hello again. Uh, as always, I'm joined by my esteemed colleagues, Logan Jones, Kyle Haywood. How we doing? Yes. I'm doing so well. <laughs> yeah. yes. I am I am so excited for round two. Well, technically round one was three rounds, but like series two, I guess, or I, I don't, I think we're doing this one a series actually. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't know how we're volume, yeah. volume works. Volume two. Oh. There we go. That's I, that's why I like installment. It's just, it, we're doing okay, this a second time. season. It's season a second, two. a second topic. Yeah, I guess we could say, is, if right? We, if we have another six month break, can we call it? It's a season just every time we do three episodes off one top. You know, it's like, <laughs> how does that work? Just like, a mini series at that point. To me, it's like the, like the shark, you know, how Sharknado 2's tagline was the second one. Just, <laughs> Sharknado 2, the second one. Really yeah. didn't think Sharknado was going to come up in our discussion <laughs> on this. At least not in the first two minutes. But hey, weird no. things have happened on this mic. 
So, no. <laughs> um, I, I just have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed listening to, uh, the previous episode that you guys did with Jason about, uh, you know, with the top 10 NCAA women's teams, uh, and what pies they are. I had a blast listening to that. And I was a little like, like I was really sad that I wasn't able to be on mic for that episode with you guys because like, I had a list. I was ready to go. Like, and I had a lot of takes and we discussed some of those takes, uh, prior to this, but, uh, yeah, I've got some, uh, uh, yeah, I've got some, some of my own feels on that, but I just loved listening to that. If you guys haven't had a chance yet mm-hmm. to go back and listen to that and you're like hoops and pie or pie and hoops, I don't even remember what the title is, but if you're like, what was that? <laughs> like, and you, mi- and you two. skipped it and you skipped it, go back and listen to it. It was, yeah. it was just a blast. And it's just something like, it's just fun. I think, uh, any, yeah. anything like that is going to, uh, I will highly recommend in 2020. So. No, definitely. If you are, if you are a first time listener and you're listening mainly for the Debbie history stuff, first of all, awesome. That's super cool. Cause we like for sure stuff. Uh, but secondly, yeah, check that out. Previous episode to this, uh, all about the upcoming NCAA season and relating teams to pie, because sometimes that's how we do the show. That's what, that's, that's how it was what we want to do. <laughs> I, that's the, I'll use the word charm. That's the charm of the show. <laughs> Little pie <clears> charm. <throat> Little pie charm. <laughs> That's sort of a thing. Well, pie beads is really, it's not charm. Oh, there we go. There we beads. go. Anyway, that's my thing. Wasn't planning talking that much about, uh, <laughs> about pies, but I guess you never are when you start talking about pies. Logan, I'm going to pick on you really quick before we jump in. Let's do some shameful plugs. Uh, tell our listeners a little bit about where they could find us online. Any other cool stuff we got going on? Yeah, so you can find us online on Twitter at WNBA Nation Pod. Uh, that's where you'll find a lot of links to our newest episodes and things that are coming up. It's where we're uh, going to be teasing this episode in the upcoming week uh, leading up to the holidays. It's just it's the best place to engage with us if you want to interact, ask us questions, have uh, have us discuss those questions on air. Um, it just seems to be like like the the, the place like the, the social media uh, outlet of choice for the sports world. Um, so at WNB nation pod, you can also listen to this podcast anywhere you can find podcasts and give us a five star review so that other people can find us easier. We love that. In fact, we will read those on the air, uh, when you give us those, I, because we want in to fact, us- have one for us. If you'd like oh, to pause. Oh, 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 oh. Yes, absolutely. Our, our most recent five star review, uh, comes from C four one five C. Um, she gives us five stars and says my fave, uh, Now, I'm going to read it as is, all right? I'm going to read it as is. She says, edit. I am a middle school girl who plays basketball, and when you guys have talked about keeping girls in basketball, it has really encouraged me to stick with it. I'm so excited for what you guys have, for what you have in store this offseason. And then she, I think this is the original part, and then she edited that at the beginning. Uh, She says, this is my favorite podcast, and every time a new episode drops, I listen right away. Nice job, guys. Thank you. Whoever you are, C415C, we appreciate that. Um, we found, we found we have a pretty wide variety of a listener base. Um, a lot of up and coming players. We've got a lot of, uh, I was actually impressed with some of our, we've got kind of an older, like a a decent group of like older WNBA fans, like from like original 
like fans yeah. from back at the beginning of the league and, and even prior to the league, women's basketball fans that have connected with us all the way down to, yeah, I mean, middle schoolers that listen to our show. Um, and, and everybody from every, any dem- demographic, you know, all in between. So that's, that's just a, a, a really cool shout out. We appreciate that. Yeah. That, uh, that, that warms uh, my heart. Cause I, yeah. I don't think there's a time in your life quite the same as when you get to be a part of an organized sports team. And sure. it's just, you make so many cool memories. You like, you meet friends that stay your friends for such a long time. Like I'd encourage anyone like to either stay in basketball or if you're not into it, get into basketball. If you have the chance, cause, <laughs> cause it can take you uh, a lot of places and, and it can, yeah. you know, it can give you a lot of good memories. Absolutely. That's that. That's got to be the best compliment I think we've ever received. That is that honestly, that's encapsulates so much of why we do what we do. And it's absolutely a message we'd extend to anyone, especially younger people listening to this. Uh, If, if basketball or sports is a part of your life, keep at it. It's, it's there for everyone and everyone wins. You've just got to find out what your win is. And I, that's, that's so cool. C C four one five C. Uh, very catchy name, uh, <laughs> which no, I, awesome. I, I I kind of I guess alludes to some of the things that we're going to cover about uh, I guess our topic, um, at least from what I understand uh, discussing pre-record that there was even some of this. Do I stick with this sport? Yeah, uh, a little bit. So we'll hit that narrative a little bit for definite. I think that that plays in a lot of. I think when you go down the lifeline of a lot of the greats when it comes to women's basketball uh, with WNBA players, there's narratives like that. Maya Moore shared that in a player's tribune article a while back about her connection to basketball and how it was a little tougher to do at a younger age. Uh, You know, a lot of, you know, athletes We're really now starting to hit the era where most everyone who is coming into the league has those WNBA connections. They have those players they look up to in the early days of the league. They really kind of had no choice, but to have those NBA players that connect to, and that's going to happen still. And that's totally fine, but it's fun nowadays seeing players come in and say like, well, I love Sue bird. And that's why I wanted to play in the, in WNBA. Like I love Ali Quigley's players should be an article all about that was incredible. She has a super cool article all about, all she wanted for Christmas was a WNBA ball, which by the way, is still really <laughs> hard to find and they're expensive, but still yeah. worth it. so there, there's a lot of cool stories that derive from that. I'm forgetting the name, but there's a MNBA draftee from this week who, um, had oh. th- that experience, like a, a specific experience like that. Like it, that's always a common trope during draft time is like, meet your hero now that you made it to the league. And I want to say his was Danich Rossi. Yeah. And yeah, it was Patrick, his, Patrick Williams. He went, Patrick, he went yeah, number four so, overall. And, and like his, his idol, everyone else was like NBA players and his was, was DT. And I, I thought yeah. that was pretty sweet. Awesome. Did, uh, if you haven't so, gotten a chance yet, this is, this is part of the reason why you should all be on Twitter. If, uh, uh, not too much, but if you, if you like WNBA <laughs> stuff, I love that. Basically, I lo- that's it. I, was, yeah. I love uh, that, that call out for Twitter. Be on Twitter for this. Not much else. Pretty though. much just okay. everything else. But there is, there's an interview where, where DT sits down with Patrick Williams and it's so fun to see like an NBA up and comer, like, like meeting his hero and it's freaking like Tarazi is an intimidating presence as we all know. So. Yeah. To geek out. I know JJ Reddick talked about that, how he was a huge super fan, super fan growing up and in college and him and his teammates, like 
they love to watch it. Like it, it's a cool manifestation to know that, uh, you know, male professional players being into the women's game isn't new, right? But it's finally getting to the surface, which is cool. And I know that we could talk forever today about a lot of that, but we have an actual history topic to dive into yes. for the first time in a while. Now, yes, before yes, we dive yes. specifically into the title topic, I do want to hit, I don't know if this will become a regular segment when we open things up, but I think that this is a thought. I did want to hit a tiny bit of follow-up from our previous series. I had one specific thought that we didn't really dive into. Uh, so every now and again, when we revisit those old things, I may just drop in one or two thoughts. If you guys, of course, have one or two thoughts. Uh, but there was really one main thing that, that didn't occur to me until recently when I was listening back on things. When we were talking about, of course, this is dating back to our first installment of the show, which was the story of the Houston Comets. When we were talking about the, the latter years, the closeout years of the Comets, we started to hit a lot of those symptoms, those checkpoints that kind of told the story of, okay, this is a part of why things ended up the way they did and why they ended up becoming defunct. And everything that kind of led up to that. And one thing that hit me was there were a lot of obstacles like that, but there were also some missed opportunities. Mm. One thing that came at me like a ton of bricks was the very next season. I don't know if you guys know what happens. Um, well, actually, or was it this season? Uh, no, it was the, yeah, it was this season. Sorry. So 2008, um, that their final year was the, expansion to with the Atlanta dream. Mm -hmm. And it hit me. If the dream decide to hold off one year, say they kick things off in Oh nine or the comets come to their senses. If, if Hilton Koch, the psychotic furniture owner decides (laughs) a year early to give up on the team and move them along. I think there's actually a wide open gate that could have saved the comets, at least the franchise. And just moved them to Atlanta. The comets kind of become, they could kind of become the dream or they are the Atlantic comets. And it's the fact that there was an actual opening to say, you know, if there was a way to get the writing on the wall to the commissioners where they're like, Hey, we want to start an expansion team. And they could have just said, well, can you hold off for 12 months? Because we've got a lot of reason to believe that the comets are about to get sold. And if they can't find a Houston buyer, let's what? find yeah, a we home, got Atlanta. Right. Yeah. And they're still in the South. They're still, you know, still relatively close by. It still works. And if nothing else, then you get to still maintain the canon of the comets. You have a it's place true. where you can still honor Cheryl rather Spooks than just like Kim Parrott, ending and Cynthia Cooper and Tina Thompson. Yeah. And cause now I think the saddest thing about that story when I look back on it is there's is no the like jerseys hanging in the rafters of any retired of, yeah. jerseys. There's a bunch of title banners. There's just trophies, nowhere to put them. Yeah. They just don't exist anymore. And that is like beyond depressing to me. Logan talked about this with like, you know, the Celtics in their history, right? And they won four plus in a row. You know, you can walk into the Boston Garden or whatever, the TD America or whatever, and you get to see those banners. Like you always have that reminder of those moments. And, you know, you walk into the Staples Center and you can see the Lakers banners and you still get to see a couple Minneapolis banners from their previous era. Cause that maintains mm-hmm. itself. The fact that there just wasn't a trail for that roster always makes me sad. And the fact that like they might have been able to do that by getting that Atlanta link and the timing just was off. Yeah. That is so actually just a quick follow up thought that I had. Thing. That yeah. For sure. Depressing. So 
just to plug that, if you guys haven't had a chance to listen to our W history, we have a three part series where we chronicle the rise and fall of the Houston Comets. And it's, it's phenomenal. So while you're checking this out, if this is your first W history, go back, check that one out as well and get to familiarize yourself. A lot of you know a little bit of the story of the Houston Comets, but we go into a lot of depth. Steve actually did a ton of research, uh, just as he ha- has, he has for this topic. And, uh, it's well worth your, with, worth your time to, to go back and listen to those for sure. So just a quick plug on those episodes. Absolutely. Definitely. Uh, Really enjoy doing this. You know, W history, our, our whole point here is to, to go in depth and tell stories and, and really chronicle some of the events that have made women's basketball what it is today. And I think we have something very special that we're rolling into right now. Um, so if you haven't read the title of the episode, if somehow you just opened it up without looking at the title, which that's pretty <laughs> impressive to be that quick eyed, uh, for the next episode to three episodes, we'll see how long this goes. We are going to be chronicling the rookie season for one Candace Parker. Uh, this is oft considered and it's hard to even argue the greatest rookie season in the history of the WNBA. It's yeah, pretty tough to argue when you look at the hardware that was involved, when you look at the stats that were involved, when you look at the growth of the team, the hype, the living up to the hype. There, there's a whole lot about it that stands to it, but it also comes with a lot of its own intricacies, stories, controversies. You know, it's just one of those classic things where there's a little bit of everything. I will say before we jump into today's specific timeline. Uh, what do you guys, I guess I'll quiz you guys. What, what little bit do you guys know about the, the 07, 08 calendar year for Candace Parker? Um, as far as 07, 08, I know that she is, it is, that's kind of her transition from Tennessee into the WNBA. Um, after some very successful seasons, um, with Pat Summit at Tennessee. Um, and heading into the WNBA, I remember, so, uh, Steve and I actually both graduated high school in 07. And like, I distinctly remember like this point in time of Candace Parker being like one of the biggest names talked about in all of sports at the time. And, um, just like a lot of the hype surrounding it. Um, I did not watch a lot of her rookie season as she came in. Um, I do know that she, uh, I mean, this is some spoilers, right? But like she won not only the rookie of the year, but also the MVP that season, which no other player has ever done, um, in the WNBA. And so, I mean, just that alone is, is crazy to have a rookie come in and, and win the MVP, um, is wild. So, uh, you know, coming off of, of some very successful, successful years in Tennessee coming in and immediately winning a rookie of the year and and most valuable player. Like that's gotta be one of the best, like little like sets of, uh, of basketball performance that of any player at any level. And that's a perfect lead in because, uh, very similar to when we kicked off the Houston series, I did want to start off with a quick bit of trivia. So you had already noted this, Kyle, you know, one of the main things that stands out to people when they talk about this season, Candace Parker wins the 2008 Rookie of the Year as well as the MVP award. This is the only time in WNBA history that this has occurred. It has happened two other times in the history of the MNBA. 
uh, counterpart. I'm curious if each of you want to take a stab at who those players might be. Uh, I would guess Wilt Chamberlain. Wilt Chamberlain is one. Phenomenal. Uh, there's a uh, Twix bar coming your way. Always good to dig into the Wilt well when it comes to like what ridiculous thing happened. What ridiculous thing happened in the NBA? That's a player yeah. that definitely like if a weird thing's happened, like might have been Wilt. Like Logan, <laughs> any any? I'll, I'll give you a shot in the dark. Who might be the second player? Uh if it helps, these happen in the same decade. I was gonna say it's gonna be something in like the '60s, and it's gonna be a name that I know but would never guess. So. <laughs> give me, um, give me one I, shot. Hmm. Just for fun. I've got. I've got. Wait, it happened in the same decade. Is this yeah. the? You'll you'll know fifties or sixties. Sixties. Didn't you'll, will? It's in the sixties. Okay. You'll know this name. Uh, it may not be like a top of my name. Oscar Robinson. It's a really good Bob, guess. Not quite. Bob Cousy. Bob Cousy, also a good guess, not quite. So Will Chamberlain uh, started the 60s with this accolade. And in 1969, to end the decade, Wes Unseld was the Oh, no way! Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, I would have taken about 10 more guesses, but yeah. maybe. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah. We, we, we might have got there eventually, but... Yeah, yeah. it was really interesting, because that was a that's name crazy. that like, didn't immediately pop out to me either, and I thought, that's right, that makes a ton of sense. So, But that adds to the allure of it had been... 40 years, uh, almost exactly since the last time we'd seen this happen in the world of American professional basketball. Uh, and that again, like we talked about the Comets, four straight championships and how little it happened. This has happened less times in professional basketball history, uh, where we saw someone win a rookie of the year as well as an MVP. And it had been four solid decades since it, ha- since it had happened. Tells you w- how immensely difficult it was. Now, we're also talking about a player who in a calendar year won a national championship, a, a national uh, wooden award player of the year award uh, in the college mm-hmm. game, an Olympic gold medal, an MVP, a rookie of the year, two SBs, which I guess used to mean the you know, meant something back then, <laughs> a handful of other awards somehow when paired with Lisa Leslie unable to pull in a WNBA championship. It was the only real piece of hardware that was left off the table. And I think the interesting part of this story is how still was this season considered a raging success? And what was the disconnect that made it so they, they could get that close to the finish line, but not quite cross. And I think that's really going to tell a lot of the narrative here is, is the hype and the the overall environment in the basketball world as this was going on on top of the fact of how were they not able to pull off what really felt like was going to be pulled off. All right. So kicking off the timeline, we're going to kick things off on October 23rd, 2007. Technically we're going to go off script here and there, but uh, we're kicking things off October 23rd, the 2007, 2008 WNBA draft lottery takes place mm. now while diana tarasi and the phoenix mercury are fresh off of their first wnba championship in 07 the current focus is on three teams the chicago sky the minnesota Lynx, and the 10 and 24 los angeles sparks the sparks currently is, are 
Sorry? Is uh, is this didn't Lisa Leslie miss like a full like almost a full season to injury? Was we're that this to, year? We're about to jump right into that. Yeah. Okay. Right. So the Sparks are <laughs> I coming I off that, of, yeah. uh the Sparks are coming off of what many consider to be their worst season in franchise history. I don't even think it's an argument. It was a really bad year for them. After a 25 and 9 campaign in 06, which netted the Sparks the top seed in the Western Conference before an early out courtesy of the Sacramento Monarchs. Uh, the Shock won the title that year over the Monarchs. Sparks brass were buzzing at the thought of carrying momentum into another deep title run. Of course, this was before reigning MVP. So she's MVP at the time. Lisa Leslie sat out this the 2007 season on maternity leave at a baby. And University of Tennessee legend Shamik Holdsclaw shockingly announced her retirement shortly after the season kicked off. Plenty hmm. of games decided she was going to call it quits. They were without their two stars. What then resulted was their worst regular season to date and since, and a plummet in ticket sales. But their heads wouldn't hang low for long. Not only due to the knowledge that their MVP would be making her return, but they were suddenly in the running to fill their open Tennessee legend slot in a very, very big way. The collegiate resume of Candace Parker is without equal. During her three years of play on Rocky Top, the Naperville, Illinois native stockpiled some spectacular accomplishments as a Lady Vol. This three-time All-American gave the Lady Vol faithful countless moments to remember her by. Crossover dribble drive, puts up the shot off the clock. It's good. What a shot by Parker. Among her impressive highlight reel are seven career dunks, including the first time a woman had dunked twice in the same game. While her offensive game was impressive, she owns the Lady Vol record for career blocks with 275. She was also sent to the foul line and made more free throws than any Lady Vol in history. Probably because teams figured if you can't guard her, foul her. She led her team to two consecutive national titles, where she was the NCAA tournament's most outstanding player in 2007 and 2008. From the moment Candace Parker announced her commitment to the Lady Vols, November 11th, 2003, which happens to be the first women's commitment shown live on ESPN. Uh, this wild. is the first time that that took place, uh, like the first announcement type of thing on the women's front. All eyes were on the Naperville Central High School phenom and two-time Illinois state champion. She made an immediate impact at Tennessee, winning SEC Rookie of the Year and becoming the first woman to dunk in an NCAA tournament game. That was against Army. She also has a couple of famous ones against UConn, but the Army dunk was pretty cool. So check that one out. She then went on to average a double-double in her sophomore year, winning SEC Player of the Year and leading the 36-2 and Lady Vols to a national championship. Though the current NCAA season had yet to begin at the time of the lottery, the Vols, who are taking on a returning Parker, along with standouts Shannon Bobbitt, Nikki Anasike, and all-time UT Steel's leader Alexis Hornbuckle, these are names you're going to be hearing a lot in the coming several minutes, it seemed pretty inevitable that they would take home repeat hardware. Of course, the year had started. And Parker would be the blockbuster headliner for the subsequent WNBA draft. Keeping in mind she hadn't declared for the draft yet, it's just it seemed like that was the case. Right. But the energy of the lottery was this could happen, right? And so barring this unforeseen circumstance, if she declares like she's expected to, this lottery had very much become, quote, the Candace Parker sweepstakes. Like it was every right. few years in basketball, 
a draft lottery has a much different tone to it because it's, it's, it's the Sabrina lottery. It's the Zion Williamson lottery. It's, you know, it's, right. it's the Asia Wilson lottery. Like we all know what's at stake. Who's here. going. Yeah. As opposed to having the top pick, which is always nice. Like there is actually like a, a standard golden goose at stake and we'd sure like to have that. And that, that was as prevalent here as it might have ever been in WNBA history. I mean, you had Sue, you had DT, you had a couple examples of that up to now. Uh, but one thing that almost goes unspoken, few players, especially on the women's side of the ball, had this much hype leading to it. At this point, Candace Parker, and, and I think this ties to the narrative, what you talked about earlier, Kyle, with the narrative of, you know, when the Comet story happened, we were kids. We right. were seniors in high school around the time this was happening. I remember Candace was a celebrity at Tennessee. I mean, she was oh, well yeah. known. She was dating Sheldon Williams. She, uh, I think she got on like people's hundred most beautiful people list and that took mm-hmm. on a bunch of buzz, but she was a very well known entity. I mean, she was, she was a name you knew. Well, and, going back and, even prior to that, I remember like, it had to be like maybe, I don't know, eighth grade, like I, like maybe freshman year for me when I, I swear I remember like watching on TV, watching her win like the, uh, the dunk contest, the high school. Yeah. Dunk she was contest. still in, in April. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, I remember seeing that and like having her on my radar then. And then obviously watching a lot of, you know, Tennessee, Tennessee was kind of the, the top dog for those, you know, f- those big time years for me as, you know, I was playing high school basketball and paying attention to a lot of it and watching, and watching, you know, Kevin Durant light it up in Texas and Candace Parker light it up in, in Tennessee was kind of the, that was a lot of the big, the big names going on right then. Yeah. Coming into this specific season, uh, UT and UConn were tied all time for national titles. So this was actually a pretty mm. big year in terms of, you know, people forget before UConn's deep, deep run that we're seeing today and the inevitability. Tennessee was kind of that squad. Right. And this was during that time where those paths were intersecting. And you were seeing these two powerhouses really come at each other, which is super ironic because mysteriously UConn's not on their schedule in 08. Funny how, (laughs) funny how that happens. Yeah. Funny how you dunk on UConn and then they suddenly aren't on your schedule. It's a weird, which, which by the way, I, I had a similar growing up with Pat Summit and and the lady volunteers being like the, like that was the women's basketball team in the country. Mm. And I, I think UConn has this reputation today where they will play anybody. Um, and I just, that's, I think that's the one team that ever scared them enough to, you, they did the college football move, right? And they were just like, oh, we just, you know, we just don't room, have enough time in our schedule. You know, but like yeah. they, they really, <clears throat> UConn kind of prides themselves on never dodging anyone. And I think even Pat Summit's team was, they were their equal at the very least. So. Yeah. Sure. I mean, that was definitely the story was, um, these were two high level powerhouse programs at the very top of their game. Cause one thing that adds to this 08 season, uh, and we'll be hitting this a couple minutes later was like UConn was, was starting to, to refresh their talent base after the Tarasi years. So they were hitting a fever pitch again. Obviously Tennessee was, there were a lot of other programs that were hitting that. And so it was definitely like the hype level for the women's game during this year was incredibly high. I remember, uh, the tournament in 08, I was a freshman in college and watching, the women's tournament with as much fervor as the men's tournament that year. Like, yeah, it was a big deal. Yeah. I mean, that was, 
that's kind of what this came down to. And so tying that obviously into uh, the storyline, because we're here at the lottery. Like I said, we, we went off script. We're back here. The Sparks <laughs> sat with a 34% probability at winning the lottery, which was tied with the also 10 and 24 Minnesota Lynx. Kind of funny how <laughs> Candace Parker's just always <laughs> been a part of this budding Rivalry yeah, between the yeah. Which, by the way, this episode specifically, and and just so people know, obviously, the chronicle of this story is the rookie season of Candace Parker. This episode specifically, we're technically not going to talk about a WNBA game, but it's definitely going to give us the context we need to really understand the importance of that season. So we're going to talk a lot of Tennessee ball, but also a lot of what we talk about during this episode adds really intriguing context to the Lynx Sparks rivalry. There's a lot about Link Sparks that after I've done this research, I want to go back and watch those 2016 and 2017 finals because I think there's even more to it that makes it all the more interesting. Then, then cur- the casual fan will have I'm curious what then. a different watch it will be no, kind of knowing the stuff that we're going to know here. But anyway, yeah. they, so they have a tie probability. They both had a 10-24 record. And as with any great story, the odds, of course, fell toward Hollywood, fell the Sparks way. And to quote L.A. Times reporter Dan Errett, after a year of disappointing performances from the Lakers, Dodgers, Kings, and the Galaxy, quote, fans of Los Angeles professional sports finally have something to cheer about, close quote. And I know that <laughs> means nothing for you guys as it does for me. I go, poor. As poor Steve's wearing his World Series championship shirt. <laughs> hey, that's 12, this is 12 years beforehand. Uh, but this was legitimately like months before, you know, Pau Gasol makes his way to Los Angeles. On the Lakers front, uh, the Dodgers had the worst owner in baseball. The Kings were very much the Kings. Uh, this was a year where like almost all of the professional level teams in LA had losing records, including the Sparks. It kind of glosses over the fact that USC was really good at football, but whatever. That's <laughs> seemingly that important. Kevin Love and Russell Westbrook we, were at UCLA at the time. That doesn't yeah. seem to pop up in this we're, article. We're talking about sports where they don't pay the players. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. <laughs> uh, this, this just got awkward. This so got awkward. Profe- at least on the professional of, sports yeah. level, LA teams had seemed to be doing well. And so he's just pointing off this idea like, hey, guys, there's hope, which is uh, it was just a funny line to me. Every now and again, I'll drop in a, a quote here that's funny. Uh, I do have to ask, we talked about the probabilities and the hype of Candace Parker and her coming to LA. And we've, ha- we've talked about this note before. So I'm just going to ask you guys straight up the, 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 the 08 draft lottery rigged. It's, it's really hard to point at any one lottery and say rigged. But if you look at a lot of lotteries over a long period of time and a lot of them look suspicious, then each one of them seems to be more likely to have been rigged. Does that make sense? Like maybe this one in particular isn't, but if you take this one in particular and add like seven others with it that look all just a little bit suspicious and you think, hmm, Maybe across the board, if we gather all of these looking suspicious, maybe it increases the likelihood of any one of them being rigged. That's a diplomatic way of saying what I was going to say, which is yes. Yes, it was rigged. (laughs) They wanted the star in L.A., not in Minnesota. It was rigged. I see it. It makes sense. I see it for one reason, and I don't see it for another. One reason is, I think it helps in this case, they're tied for the highest probability. 
Mm-hmm. So this isn't like they were the fifth most likely team and had like an eight. And they just got and it. Whoosh, yeah. They find themselves, which is kind of what happened to the aces. Uh, it, but it was one of those cases <laughs> of like, here's this opportunity for you. Take it and run. Right. Um, it, it, they were tied with the links. And I think I could see a scenario where commissioners go, Hey, they have the highest, they're tied with Minnesota with the highest probability. If we wanted to nudge it in one direction, it'd kind of be really nice if she was in a larger market like LA. Right. The one thing that switches it over, there's a third team in this discussion and it's her hometown. Right. And we talk Chicago. about when the WNBA kicked off, they tried to put certain stars in like markets to try and generate, you know, energy. And the idea of, well, she's from Naperville. This is her hometown. Put her in Chicago and see if that gathers any energy. Now, granted, She's not necessarily famous for being a Chicago basketball player. She's famous for playing at Tennessee. Maybe the connection wasn't quite there. But if there's a scenario where not even necessarily like widespread cheating, if there's a scenario where I could just see a commissioner just kind of nudging one team and going, all right, let's see if maybe you let's freeze one of these envelopes and see if that helps. I could see it happening here. It it feels a little too storybook. And this is coming from a Los Angeles native. but. I was just curious. So appreciate the, appreciate the responses on there. But so this is the lead up to this season. Obviously we talked about the situation, the sparks are in where the WNBA is, who our champions are. But by the way, this also comes at a time when the college game was popping off. We've got freshman Maya, Tina Charles and Renee Montgomery at UConn. Sylvia Fowles at LSU. Just mm. had Simone Augustus with Sylvia Fowles at LSU. She just barely entered the draft. Candace Wiggins at Stanford. Christy Tolliver getting work done at Maryland. Leilani Mitchell's at Utah. Allie Quigley's at DePaul. It was like, it was clubbing in the women's game right now. There were so <laughs> many good and entertaining teams. And it speaks to just how much more stock was put into Candace because she was, there were so many recognizable names and then she was at this extra level. That's the treatment, at the very least, the treatment she was getting, let alone the stardom that she'd earned. And that right. that speaks to how insane this year was. That's crazy to think that, yeah, because in this same draft, I remember when we did our draft histories, this this one ranked somewhat high on several of our lists um, because of, yeah, you've got Candace Parker, Sylvia Fowles, um, Allie Quigley, and I um, let me look at it really quick. Oh, you also have Crystal Langhorn, Crystal Langhorn, Essence, Essence Carson, Carson is in there. I think, yeah. Um, yeah, like uh, Allie Quigley. Yeah, there's some. There's a yeah, Leilani Mitchell's a late second round. Like, there's there's some really solid players here. Um, in that in that draft, and so um, yeah, like this is a this is a big time for women's college basketball. Absolutely. I also think the one exception to the lottery, as you look at how deep this draft was, if there's one case where I totally could have seen there being like a quote rigging for the lottery, we talked about the Comets winning two of their last three games the previous season and how it kind of put them out of the running for one of these top seeds. Mm -hmm. If that doesn't happen and they find themselves with possibly the worst or one of the worst records and you're a commissioner who kind of knows the state of that squad and can sort of say, Hey, maybe if we get Candace there, it might help breathe some life into a franchise that 
we really can't afford to die. <laughs> uh, I could have seen a case where they're like, all right, center to the comments. Um, but obviously the cards fall, how the cards fall and they fell toward Los Angeles. We're going to skip, uh, quite a few months because obviously we're here to talk 2008. And that was the only thing that happened in 2007. We're going to hit February 7th, 2008. Uh, the sparks obviously in October find out that they have the top pick in the draft. All signs say, Hey, we're, we're hopefully going to get Candace Parker, but we haven't heard an announcement. So we'll see. The next move for the Sparks is simply to wait for Parker to make her draft declaration official. But in the meantime, Parker and the Vols were on a hellacious tear. They walk out of an early... So we're specifically hitting the 7th. They're walking out of an early February 18-point victory over Mississippi State, which gave Tennessee a 21-1 record. That one loss coming in OT to Stanford just before Christmas. We'll hit that later. The lead story of the night... However, is Parker being helped off the court in the late minutes after twisting her knee? Mm -hmm. And as you guys can imagine, there's absolute anxiety for a lot of reasons as not only because of the moment, but one thing that doesn't get noted a lot about Parker's early years in Tennessee was she already went through two surgeries to repair torn ligaments. Oh, she went uh, through two. Yeah. She, she, I knew that she had, I knew that she I had think the it one was bad two knee for injury. The same injury. Yeah. Yeah. Because she redshirted, right? Like yeah. she was, she was coming out as a lot of the same age as yeah. the players, but because her, she had a redshirt year. It was interesting the timing of it. So it was her senior year. Uh, she tore a ligament and then like almost immediately committed to Tennessee. Like it almost felt like I got to get this now or they might back out because I got hurt. Right. Uh, and then she redshirted. She came back. She obviously was in prime form. And that it's an interesting timeline, uh, with now after being listed day to day with a bruised knee, Parker quickly makes good on her stock and announces just 13 days later her intention to enter the WNBA draft. So I almost think it's that moment of like, there's a slight chance that if I keep at this, my stock might go down. And if I get hurt again, it's kind of <laughs> over. So let's just nip this now. Like, here I come. Interesting how interesting how that repeats where she tore ACL in her senior year um of high school and then immediately well and you know a couple months later commits to Tennessee and then junior year of college hurts her knee again and goes, you know what? <laughs> let me declare. Let me get let me get some money while I can. Is there a good know? equivalent so. to that to the end of your career? Like if when a women's big three opens up or something, is it like I hurt, <laughs> gotta go play for Ice Cube? Yeah. <laughs> uh, or something like that. I don't know. I don't know. That was a weird. I was trying to think of what's something after a professional career. You after a career that you're like, Oh, I hurt my knee. I'm going to go. I can't tear my knee. The thing I is, is with, with TNT K show. The thing, yeah. I was going to say the thing with Candace is she's already doing a lot of the like after career type yeah. things. And that's what's wild yeah. about some of, and that and she's not the only one. There's several WNBA players doing that. So I have a weird theory that after this point, and by the way, I don't know anything. I have no scoops. I know I can be wrong. So I don't want anyone putting that in my mouth. There's part of me like at this exact point, there's a reality in my head where Candace is waiting to retire until like a very, very wide opening happens for head coach at Tennessee. Like, <laughs> when I can finally just step in and say, I'm taking I'm over my alma mater. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because if there's one, if there's one thing about Candace that's actually super endearing and I would even say charming about her story above almost anyone else, 
I'm not sure I've met an athlete with nearly as much pride in their alma mater as Candace is for you. Yeah. It's there's really sure. fun videos of her just reacting like in studio to UT games and stuff. I, I wouldn't even say media wise. It's like a homeristic thing. You can just tell how much uh, Rocky top means to her. And that I just think it's a cool thing. I I'm definitely down for like 2041 when Candace Parker's Tennessee volunteers are facing Asia Wilson's um, South Carolina, <laughs> Game South Carolina Gamecocks in the finals. <laughs> Cause the, those are the two players that I, I could definitely see being like that. Those are, they're involved in their college teams for life. It helps when there's like gray haired Asia Wilson on one side and then like gray hair, like Sue and DT on the other side, scowling <laughs> at each other. <laughs> well, well Sue and DT would randomly be there. They were like, I don't know. To me, <laughs> catchings is there. Just like there's this, we all know where we stand. I love how many, I mean, I wish it didn't have to be this way because I wish they just got paid the money that they deserve. But I love how many WNBA players are like actively working in NBA front offices and like making matches Broadcasting. with the yeah. UFC and yeah, they're, they're doing journalism new careers and they're launching businesses and stuff. Cause they have to have that side hustle. Um, but it, it would be, it would be cool to see a player, you know, the number one prospect in the nation be like, you know, Gino came and he sat in my living room. He said, we're UConn. And then Candace came and she was like, we're Tennessee. And like, you know, that, that I want, I want to see that app, you know, not every I dynasty think, lasts forever. That's it's I that think, idea of like Gino Ariama of all people walks in and then Candace walks in the next day and is like, how many MVPs has he won? <laughs> I think that Tennessee, I'll, I'll say this. And maybe it's because Tennessee was like, a, like we mentioned before at the top of their game, right. As you know, I was kind of coming out of high school and it was, it was a big deal. I feel like I really miss Tennessee being, you know, like they're, yeah. they're, they were in our top 10 and they haven't been even at the top of the SEC, you know, like they've, they've kind of struggled the last several years. Um, and it's been, I, I, I kind of want like a resurgence of Tennessee, uh, basketball. No, like not that I'm the biggest Tennessee fan. I just think that women's college basketball would be more interesting yeah. if they become another, if they become a contender. You and, know? Yeah. And I mean, obviously losing Pat summit is impactful in a lot of ways for that. Oh, reason. for sure. And I think it's that idea of like, we're still kind of in this post summit era when, when's it going to click? Right. It, but they're definitely a program that you're just like, there's no way they stay down for long. And they're still good. I mean, they're a perennial tournament team. They're a solid team. They just, you expect to see them at the top of the ledger. Mm-hmm. And we haven't seen that in a while. And it'd be nice to revisit that at some point. For yeah. sure. They they might be the only team, at least the one that's coming to mind. I'm sure I'm missing some that I knew purely as a women's basketball school because yep. around, I, I can't remember when the men's championship was, but UConn had a men's team that, that made a run. Um, and like, like South they won Carolina. It the same and, year. Their men and women won it the same yeah, year. And like, yeah, two, yeah. what year was that? 2000. They were, I, I was they, they were their men's team was really up. good right around now. They were coached by Bruce Pearl and right. And and yeah. I I just think of the other good women's basketball teams in college right now, and a lot of them have good men's programs or good football programs. That Lady Vols team was like they were the Lady Vols. That is Tennessee. Like, that's yeah. what I knew about their sports program was that was kind of their banner team. And I think yeah. that was like I hope that happens more in the future. Obviously, uh, that that more you know women's more schools teams have that yeah. kind of get the the treatment for being the the school's mainstay. Yeah, I think I naturally 
even assumed the men's team was really good when I'd see them paired up because I associated the colors mm-hmm. and the branding with the women's team and how good they were. Similar to that with UConn, but also the UConn men's team did have a similar standout. I, UConn also is, a, a, I think, 04, both teams won national titles. I think that was the Emeka Okafor was, year. Yeah. It was like D, there was DT and there was Emeka Okafor uh, on the men's team, and they both had won titles that year. Um, but, you know, it, it, I totally agree with you. It's one of those things where, like, you, you, it's kind of cool that there are programs that you immediately actually think more about. USC was like that for a really long time as well. I mean, UCLA was mm-hmm. always kind of the men's basketball land, mm-hmm. and USC, USC women. was, was yeah. that for the women. If you want examples, just look at the Miller family with Reggie yeah. and Cheryl. Um, it kind of it kind of goes to show how much a coach can mean to a program because I think of all those so, teams, including UConn now, and I think wow, like. The ability to recruit all the best talent to those teams was a lot on some of the best coaches we've ever seen. Yeah, absolutely. That's also something that, that I think can go pretty unspoken with programs that have high levels of success where people kind of go, well, we joked about this with other teams and like, well, you know, anyone can walk up and, and coach this team, but there's something to be said about maintaining success on the recruitment front. Cause that is not something a lot of head coaches and other levels of the sport have to worry as much about. It's a, it's an acquired skill. I think in a lot of ways, that said, um, uh, obviously, this is a stressful point that we're hitting right now with, with Tennessee and with Candace and really with the Sparks, because we don't know full on what's going to be the status of uh, of Parker. So, yes, she's declared for the draft. But she is still injured. Are, are we still feeling good about it? All signs point to the Sparks saying, in fact, I think there's a quote from one of their co-owners who said, basically, We'll deal with the injury at that level of talents on the table. Like you stick with it more or less. Right. Um, so they were very quick in saying, uh, well, the, the organization at the Sparks were still pretty ho-hum on like, we're going to look at several players and see what the best fit is. Their head coach, Michael Cooper, pretty much not even for one second tried to keep things mysterious in any way. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Like like we said, she plays with the F, and so Michael Cooper, their head coach, also a former Showtime Laker, he makes quick work of not only sharing Sparks' intention to draft Parker, he also shares the following analysis of the of the incoming superstar. This is a direct quote, and I'm curious your guys' direct response to this. So he's asked about the draft. He's asked about Parker. He says, quote, Candace Parker is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, James Worthy, and Magic Johnson. That's how good she is. <laughs> Close quote. <laughs> do you guys feel as uncomfortable with that quote as I do? <laughs> I if if the intention is to say she is a cannot miss, like injury or no injury, she's a can't miss prospect. Then I think I'd you know we get the yeah I get you know that. we get to look back on her career so far and say like obviously yeah that's correct. It's it's definitely uh, you know you can argue Magic Johnson's the best basketball player of all time. Um, and so to to add upon him other Hall of Fame basketball players and then be like, <laughs> she's all three of these is like, I don't know if anybody is all three of those, but yeah. your point is made. And it yeah. it is in a way it's correct because like, look, plenty of plenty of sports teams, I'll go even outside of basketball, have played this game of chicken with like an injured number one talent. And it does not always work out. In fact, yeah. it, it is often a reason for a team to set itself back for five to ten years because 
you put so much stock into that pick. And to be that confident and be like, yeah, Candace Barker is the one. I, I think that amount of confidence was a good thing. Yeah. Logan, it sounds like you're speaking from experience as no. a Portland Trailblazer fan. <laughs> no. What, what does Portland know about such things? <laughs> I, I kind of like the quote in the fact that he's, he's instilling, you know, a lot of confidence. I don't like the quote in that. I like the quote for marketing purposes. Basically, yeah, if you're trying to, you if you're trying to hype absolute, people he's up. He's trying to do this. He's trying to scream at LA sports fans. Be like, no, really come and watch games. Yeah, it, and he's got to be like, we got, we're getting Lisa Leslie back. We're going to have now Candace Parker, this, this young phenom. Like he knows he's got a squad coming in. And if he's just trying to get hype, great. If you're taking that as an actual quote that a player's going to hear and see like what expectations are going to put on them, that could, yeah, that could be a detrimental yeah. type quote. If, if yeah, a picture, locker room picture, yeah. if someone in New York would have said that about Sabrina before this upcoming draft, wouldn't we all have been a little like, oh, like we love Sabrina, but like careful, you got to yeah. be careful. <laughs> the problem is you'd have to find enough great Knicks players that equate to this level. Of <laughs> I was say, you say the Knicks do not have the history. <laughs> she's we Patrick Ewing, we and can, uh, we can't do a WH uh, episode. Uh, she's five uh, Charles Oakleys. Yeah. I, <laughs> plus listen, a Patrick Ewing. Plus I, I, a, yeah. I love me a lot of airs of the Knicks. Love me some '90s Knicks. If I can crap on James Dolan, I will do it. That's just <laughs> how I am as a human being. Um, my thing on on side of this is not only the buildup and the expectation you're setting. It's that also goes back to that age old like, do you have to compare her to NBA to players, especially player. yeah. the LA market, because there are enough notable. Women's basketball players who have come out of the LA pipeline at some point. You yeah, could, you Cheryl simply, Miller at USC, Lisa Leslie, this, who's already yeah. on the squad. You could simply yeah. take this quote and you go, Cheryl Miller, Cynthia Cooper, Lisa Leslie, Pam McGee, Candace right. Parker. How how hard would it be to say she's she's Lisa Leslie two point or yeah. yeah junior or something like that? I don't know. Junior's a little bit patronizing, I guess, yeah. but like yeah. And it's funny because the the quotes that came from the Sparks kept hitting this line, and it's obviously a dangerous line, because one of their co-owners also said something very similar, where people were asking, you know, Sylvia Fells was, was a very high stock player as well in this draft, that people were saying, like, right. she her exact quote was, this is like choosing between magic and choosing Shaq, and we want magic, is basically what they said. It's like, mm. again, it it feels a little strange. I see where you're going. You know, necessarily and the LSU connection there. Yeah. Um, Rebecca Lobo did make a pretty cool comparison. She basically said like the impact she's going to have on the game. And when she talks about impact, I think she was actually talking about like her style of play, what it's going to do for the actual league. She compared it to when Tim Duncan entered the league and how mm. in a way he revolutionized what big men bring to the table on the NBA front and, and what, what Candace could do. So those types of comparisons, I get it to a level, but to simply just say like, I mean, how how far do you need this to go? Right. Like, well, she's Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan and Kirk Gibson and Superman and like, <laughs> uh, you know, just cool it just a tiny bit. And maybe. Jesus, yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> the Beatles. Like, it's like, it just keeps going and going and going and going. <clears throat> That's as sad. has been stated on this program before. The Knicks did never have Jesus and needed badly. Yeah. So, <laughs> like we said, funny how <laughs> these always seem Jesus. to pair up. Uh, I think it's clear with all this said, though, the Sparks are very excited at the future they have in front of them. And all eye roll level quotes aside, they do spend the lead up to this draft 
tying up loose ends. And they start by signing three-time All-Star Marie Ferdinand Harris. And there's a couple other solid acquisitions that really make this a pretty phenomenal roster. We're going to keep things in the month of March. We're going to kick through the end of, of this season. Uh, March 9th, from Parker's announcement, the Lady Vols went on to win all but one of their regular season games the rest of the way, suffering Jeez. a, quite honestly, really convincing 16-point loss to Sylvia Fowles and the LSU Tigers. The other team yes. that had like four players By the way, that year. Yeah. <laughs> if you recall this, this is a little good old W history deep dive coached by Van Chancellor. Oh, that's <laughs> remember, right. Remember, he used My to come to retire even <laughs> who immediately turned around and went to LSU. Uh, uh, also had a really successful stint at LSU too. We'll be talking about that a little bit, but silly fouls having a phenomenal year at LSU. Uh, so Parker obviously put in the work during this game. She dropped 26 and eight Fowles herself scores a double double, which includes 14 rebounds uh, on the way to a fairly comfortable victory for LSU. That and sounds this, like Sylvia Fowles though. Like she's doing that. Yeah. Now, and by the way, like, that's what's this crazy. probably plays a really key role in Fowles receiving sec player of the year over Parker Ooh. less than three Ooh, weeks later. Well, that you got that head to head. Head to heads are going to play, yeah. play heavy. Yeah. And she, and, and Fowles to herself plays extreme. He had extremely solid season. She, I think it was 17 and 10 for the year. Played on a very successful LSU team. I just look at this and, and stat lines alone aren't, aren't the answer, right? Parker averages 21 points, eight rebounds, two blocks, two steals. She's shooting 54% from the field. On a team with two losses. I have no idea what more you're trying to expect out of this. Um, this isn't, you know, LSU is an undefeated in conference. This was, this was Tennessee's one loss in the SEC. If you want to go SEC games alone, this feels like you said, like your basic eye test. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, look at that. Uh, the LSU one. So I guess, I guess this fouls this year. To, to, to make it current, this feels like the Asia Wilson over Bree Stewart MVP pick. Yeah. After two great years, it was like, well, she won the head to head and it was, it was the end of the year for the number one seed. So how do yeah. we not give it to Asia? Yeah. There's, there's a four word phrase that, that I've heard from you that I now use when I look at the MVP race. So often it comes down to best player, best team. Yeah. At the end of the day, if you don't want to dive into the context, look for the best player on the best team. And that's usually where you're going to take things unless there's a narrative that ties you in a different direction. Right now I want to revisit this. We talked about this a little bit. So obviously this is an intriguing story and it's a bit spicy. Do you see where this adds a little bit to that sparks links rivalry? Uh, yeah, totally. On top like, of these that's two what teams that simply is- want to beat each other, two great coaches, high competitiveness. You also have these two bigs who were going at each other in the college game frequently, who had yeah. some spicy stuff going on. And we've seen how Candace Parker responds when accolades don't go her way. You guys recall the <laughs> links ring ceremony debacle and all the fun yeah. stuff that came. This is also considering that these teams were very competitive this season before when Simone Augustus was, was at LSU. So she's playing Simone Augustus and Sylvia Fowles. And while all this is going on, you've got freshman Maya Moore at UConn, who very well documented 
What a time uh, to be Parker, alive. The opposite of a Yukon fan. All of these ingredients going on in this rivalry in 2016, 2017. This is why I really want to go back and watch those two final series and just see if that shifts a little bit of how things go. Because one, one thing that stands out with that 2016 Sparks title is just how well Candace played. Mm. I think she averaged 26 points. Like she played an extremely hard series and you could see the pull. And that's of course on top of if she really wanted to win that for Pat Summit. This, this is right on the heels of her passing away. You know, that right. year, that it alone is a W history episode, right? And on top of that, there's all of this historical baggage of like, oh, but they've got a history. Yeah. Yeah. As we mentioned earlier in the show, how much Candace still cares about her alma mater. And if you're yeah. that into your college team in, in every sport, if you just, if you're cheering for Tennessee, you hate LSU. And you hate Ole Miss and Mississippi State and Alabama and everybody else in that conference. <laughs> like it's it's not just one rival. Very impressed um, how smoothly you were able to call out that many SEC teams. Well, those are all the ones I lived around that everyone hated. So <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. Um, nobody hates. It. Yeah, nobody hates. Uh, like Mizzou. Arkansas or whatever. Yeah, they they're terrible. Yeah. But <laughs> but yeah, even you know if you're in if you're in that environment for several years of your career and and one of those years has been injured and you want to be out there, but when you're out there, you only lose like a handful of games your whole career, um, get passed over for like conference player of the year like that. I don't think it's wrong even in a in a WNBA championship series for that to be maybe like ten to twenty percent of your motivation. Be like oh, we've. We've played these guys. I've played these guys for my whole life. Like, yeah, I've been trying to to prove that I am the better here for a decade. And I, I again, I love that. Remember that review from the beginning of the show that um, that listener who's who's still playing middle school ball. That's the sort of stuff you get on you know, when you've got the camaraderie of being on a team and you get the familiarity of facing an opponent multiple times over your career. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a respect there for the the. Opponent, like the opponent's talent, but you know, Steve, after just watching two of your teams, you know, win it all in the moment, you hate your opponents. There's no respect for the good moments that they have or the good performances that they have. You just want them to lose. After the Dodgers won game six and won the World Series, there was obviously this amazing elation. There was tears. There was a lot of energy. And then there was this weird moment where it hit me all at once, like, Wait a minute, Randy or Rosarena's dope, right? He's. So, I was texting you the whole week, like he's so cool, and you're like, Logan, he sucks. But I'm like, he I, sucks. he's my enemy. <laughs> like I, I, I can't like him, and and I think that yeah. happens a lot in those rivalry settings. Where like, it, I think it's why, like for instance, you you so often hear those stories of big time rivals becoming close friends in post retirement because sure. they have been so closely intertwined in such a unique way. That it forms this natural. This is a weird comparison, but it's that weird, like Ray Kylo Ren type of oh I've, relationship. I've, I thought you were going with Rocky and Apollo, but that Rocky will, and Apollo is a really good example. That's probably a more classic example. But it's that idea of like there's still this rivalry, there's still this hatred, but it's almost like telepathic. Like they're building a friendship very telepathically in the background while they're still <laughs> trying to beat each other, uh, and it's this weird system where it comes from that. But it's unique in this case because it didn't end in college. They suddenly find themselves eight full years later. By the way, another thing that adds to it, Sylvia Fowles ends up playing for Candace's hometown because she screws them yeah. over with a holdout. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's a, a Candace 
huge Chicago pride, huge Bulls fan. She loves her hometown. It's one of those things of like, there's so many little speckles that make that rivalry so much more interesting than just two yeah. really good teams who want to win. That's uh, not, not that these need to be compared, but I think it's, it's more interesting. Well, not more interesting. I don't know. There's more substance to it than your classic, like, uh, take Tarazi and Bird. Like, oh, we were teammates once. Now we're both in the league. We've each won rings and suddenly, you know, 14 years into our careers, we're up against each other in a series. That's interesting because of like the, the camaraderie and the sisterhood there. But this is like, we've only ever been butting heads. There's never been a moment where we were like, like we, you know, we, we never been on this journey together. It's always been, you're the one I got to beat to get to the trophy. Right. Absolutely. So I think there's a lot more we could dive into there, but that's needless to say, there is an absolute pitch here of, of all of this energy. And it really hits this kickoff point when all of a sudden silly fouls wins this award and it comes off the heels of their one loss in conference. And of course that tone gets much louder on March 9th, where we're sitting right now, when Tennessee and LSU meet up in the SEC tournament final. The Tigers hold a three point lead with under three minutes left in this game. And, and, and there's two things I wanted to note about that award, right? We talked about how it ties to this 2016, 17 rivalry. The other thing is what I, I think is a very common thread with historically great players in their sport. And it's that they're people you just don't want to piss off <laughs> because the Tigers have a three point lead with under three minutes left to play. They have a chance to beat the, you know, win the SEC and spoil another dream season for Tennessee because they may not get a top seed. Who knows how it goes. This is when Parker then responds with a stop and score, followed by a key defensive rebound and drawing a foul for two free throws, ultimately putting the Lady Vols in front for the rest of the game, and they win the SEC tournament. Mm. That game, uh, the end of that game is available on YouTube, and watching Chancellor and the LSU Tigers deflate when they realize, oh, there's nothing we can do, huh? Like you just kind of were just like, this was that moment, like how oh, Candace is going to Candace and like it's over. And it was just a really interesting case of like, you guys could have stayed quiet. Like you didn't <laughs> say anything. I wouldn't have had, yeah. I had to do this, but now I got to go do this. I, imagine if someone doesn't yank on Sue Bird's mask, right? Like, Im- <laughs> yeah. you know, imagine there's, there's so many moments like that, that they, you know, great players have that edge where they naturally step up in big moments, but especially when they feel that they are somehow yeah. being disrespected. They know when to be diplomatic. And then they know when they turned to their coach and said, sorry, I got to go step on them. Like, yeah, that's, that's honestly happening. When I watch any sport, that's how I determine who my MVP is, is it, there's lots of great players and there's lots of great players that perform in great moments, but who has the, I will single-handedly take over this game mode, right? Like not, not many. There's there's a couple names you could put like oh they did it once or twice but to be able to consistently say putting the team on my back I'm doing it and this is a very early example of Candace Parker basically you know we're gonna get into her at WNBA career and rookie season and all the good players that she plays with but to be at this age and and in a you know against a really an LSU team that has a lot of players bound for the league and to be like nah we're not losing this game. <laughs> This is all to lead to Tennessee winning the 2008 
SEC championship. This then rolls us into the NCAA tournament. The Lady Vols breeze by Oral Roberts, Purdue, and Notre Dame. And they're, you know, one win away from the final four, yet another one, second in a row. And Candace leaves the game early against Texas A&M after dislocating her shoulder. So again, <sighs> knee injury, shoulder injury. I mean, this is just one of those classic, like, touted warrior, like, just keeps trying to fight on. So she she leaves. There's a lot of speculation whether or not she can even make it back. There's this really interesting story where they determine it's not a summer where she has to sit out a game, but she needs, like, a compression sleeve. And like for her to be able to at least move her arm and they didn't have one on site. They had to like scramble through the arena just to find one <laughs> and legitimately like Pat, apparently there's a story like Pat summits, like screaming at people like freaking find one. They find one, they put it on. <laughs> she immediately like almost like immediately turns around and goes back on the court. She returns late after this whole debacle in the second half. At this point, A&M is boosting a five point lead. And again, late in the second half, Parker goes on to score Tennessee's last eight of their last 10 points and only surrenders one score from AM the rest of the way. Jeez. Tennessee wins by eight, goes to the final four. Man. Imagine being coach summit, like, like looking at your sideline of assistants and staff and whatever and being like, we are here to win a championship and that championship relies on one of you finding me a compression I don't care if like we have to like tear a leg sleeve and put that on the show I don't care Saran find wrap, me, whatever you gotta do find yeah. me yeah. a piece of scuba equipment I don't care like <laughs> if the the idea that there would be scuba equipment in a basketball arena before there would be a compression <laughs> sleeve is incredible to picture like, but hey. I don't know how to explain it but here you go like where are my scissors <laughs> Uh, this almost like to tie to another Star Wars random analogy. I mean, this is legitimately like Finn and Poe trying to hold things down and they're just waiting for like a force field to enter. So Ray can come in with a lightsaber and call things off. <laughs> Take care. It's like, all oh, right, this is over now. Like <laughs> just showing up, dropping eight of 10, only giving up one bucket and being like, Hey, cool. Final four. Are we all good. Uh, is, is pretty incredible. And this is where things get better. We, we talked about this a little bit. I think off. Uh, off Mike. Um, this was a really fun basketball year because both men's and women's final fours were incredible. Uh, on the men's end, the final game in that final four was, is like touted as one of the best tournament finals of all time. That was the Mario Chalmers, Derek Rose, Kansas, Memphis final that went to like 18 overtimes or whatever. Uh, I just remember that being bonkers and the, the women's final four. It was equally as exciting, really fantastic stuff. Um, that said, this final four, Tennessee's excited, but this is far from easy. The 35 and four Stanford Cardinal await their final round opponent after they upset UConn on their side of the bracket. They, they have a nine point win over UConn, make their way to the final and currently standing in Tennessee's way in the semifinal. It's so funny how these teams follow you. We talked about the Liberty and the Comets. Those damn Tigers. <laughs> LSU, Tennessee, National Semifinal, freaking Final Four. By the way, a random and totally non-relevant fact, 
the only two losses Tennessee received on the year were against LSU on February 14th and Stanford on December 22nd. So they have to match up against the two teams that actually the found two a way teams to beat that they them. Met, yeah. To pull off another okay. national championship, you've got to <laughs> play these, with like, your best player these, with a hurt leg and a dislocated shoulder. Just these this looming, is, like, yeah. It's like Ron Howard wrote this movie. Like, it just keeps <laughs> piling things up. So, obviously, LSU's been a thorn in Tennessee side all season. And that obviously doesn't stop here, because as we've talked about with all the other games, the Tigers erase an eight-point deficit with seven minutes to play and tie the game up. Um, Fowles goes 24 and 20 on the night, 24 points, Ooh, 20 rebounds. Jeez. Earning her keep. Absolutely. I mean, give her the credit she deserves there. She, in these last minutes, hands the reins over to guard Erica White, who scores four of her seven points in the final minute to give LSU a one point lead with seven seconds left to play. So she suddenly makes these key buckets in the final minute. It finally puts them over for the night, and it's a one-point game, seven seconds left to play. The rules at the time, uh, a late timeout call doesn't advance the ball. So LSU has to inbound the ball from the opposite side of the floor, and this is your classic, you know, make it down the floor, find a bucket, you know, one of the toughest outs in, in sports. So with Tennessee having to advance the ball the full length of the court, Parker, who, to her respect, went 13-15 on the night, insists on inbounding the ball. This is your big, this is your forward center, whatever you want to call it, saying, no, it's me. Send, send, send our point guard down to the, to the key. This is me. Inbounds the ball. She immediately zips past two defenders and rushes down the sideline, or down the baseline. I mean, just immediately uh, takes side, starts to eke toward the corner, makes a cut in, draws two defenders, and pushes the ball down low to an open uh, Nikki Anasike. Wide open, goes up for a shot, and is deflected by Ashley Thomas, a uh, senior at LSU. Keep mind, this is all happens in seven seconds. Ball's blocked. Ball goes off the backboard, lands in the arms of Alexis Hornbuckle, who banks in the winning Jeez. shot with .7 seconds left to play. And I think Parker's going to get the ball in the inbound. LeBlanc waiting for Parker. Nice dish inside tip. The follow is good. Hornbuckle with the follow. Two tenths of a second to go. Are you kidding? Parker with a drive. The defense came to her. She passed to set up the layup. They missed that. Tennessee's going to the finals. This play (laughs) rules. This was incredible. Like, I put this up there with like the Enrique Gunbawale buzzer beaters because there's something about the the chaoticness of this play. And at the time, there were 0.3 seconds on the clock. There was like an eight minute delay to figure out how much time was on the clock. They extended (laughs) 0.7. They do a giant lob across court. I believe Hornbuckle intercepts the pass game over. They're going to the final. Uh, like Candace is freaking out. Players are hitting the floor. This was just an amazing thing. And, and from a player in Hornbuckle who had an amazing season, this adds to the fact that this was her one basket of the game. She hadn't made a bucket all night. That's crazy. Then, 
and found what herself is. on a hustle play. She was playing like in a corner elbow spot, rushes up as like a help rebounder, basically sees what's going on with Anna CK. Like she's going to be off balance, lands right in her hands. She banks it in and it's over. Just an amazing moment, an amazing play. And it's that, the, that type of thing that's like, man, this is why tournament basketball is awesome. This is why, this is why, like, I don't listen to people who say, like, the mid-range game is dead. It's, it's just jacking up threes and, and scoring under the basket. Like, every now and again, you can craft something pretty cool. An amazing moment. So obviously this ties us into the final. Um, we're going to spend a little less time in the final as we do this because this was the cool game. Just any, any thoughts here? I think. I love the fact that there's times when players like, like there's moments when that happens for players um, that are just going to go down as like, I just imagine what she's going to share with her kids like forever. Right. Like yeah, I played with Candace Parker and we had, you know, I was having this off game and she's going to have that story, you know, for the rest of, like, this is what allowed us to advance and win the title that year is because I made this play, you know, and uh, in crunch time. Wherewithal- on this play to say if I am down the, like she, she knew she had that drawn up and, and there's reason to believe that Pat also drew this up, but that idea of like, listen, I'm going to work the ball down low and I know they're coming for me. So someone's going to be open. You know, it's that classic and again, crappy NBA comparison, whatever you want to say, but it, this is that classic Jordan to Steve Kerr moment of, mm-hmm. Like, I know they're going to be open because they're going to be coming at me. That idea yeah. of like, I have enough context of basketball after all these games, especially against a team who thinks they have my number. I think I know what we can do to beat him. And that's what made this play cool. But that's on top of the fact that LSU had a phenomenal stop that would have been the story of the night. Like they blocked game winner. Like they made the stop they needed to make and Hornbuckle comes in because balls don't quit. You know, it's that classic, you know, left foot, right foot, breathe, repeat. Uh, mentality of like you keep at it very very cool of course they have one more victory to pull off it's not done yet right you'll take this to your grave her brooks quote all that i was stuff. just gonna say this is like the miracle on ice where it's like all right now we gotta go we we yeah, better we go, win. To go win the thing <laughs> yeah still one of my favorite coach quotes of all time you'll take it to your effing grave um so the lady vols of course moved to their second straight final while this is sad. LSU would fall in the semifinal for the fifth consecutive year. <laughs> Couldn't happen to a better team. That's rough. That's that's not, tough. That's I'm not an LSU guy. I, I have to admit. So that's a that's the amount of <laughs> tougher, success I wish them. <laughs> that's tough for Chancellor for at least two of those years. I mean, a lot yeah. of those were, were pokey teams, but 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 we we all love us some Van Chancellor. It's nice to see him succeed if he can, but. Tough break for LSU. That said, uh, Tennessee moves on to face Stanford in the final. We now move to April 8th. Or, sorry, that should be 9th. My bad, I think. Wait, do I have my dates off? Whatever. Uh, the first Tennessee-Stanford matchup in December was a star-studded shootout between Candace Parker and Stanford's Candace Wiggins. The two Candaces. This was actually yeah. a narrative. Well, Wiggins uh, went... Wasn't she like... What, she top, went to the top three. Three or four? Okay, yeah. These, she goes top, third after the, fouls. When those two those three teams were in the lottery, one of the narratives was like, there's gonna be one winner, but everyone kind of wins because there's there's Parker, there's Wiggins, and there's fouls, and you're gonna get one of these great players. You're gonna get one of those, those three. Yeah. 
that was kind of what like the first three to see, you know, if you think about the Deladon mm-hmm. sky dig and a uh, grinder year was like the three to see, this was kind of like that too, of like one of these three, te- each team's going to get a pretty solid player. It just depends on what order. And then it very slowly became the Candace Parker sweepstakes. That very much is the narrative here with the, t- the two Candaces is that's legitimately what you saw in the news. Uh, this idea of like, Oh, they're both named Candace. Isn't that funny? Um, Wiggins in this women's basketball in 2008 was just (laughs) boy does it get worse two Candaces (laughs) yeah it's there's so many moments uh, reading stuff that I'm like you know we hear that phrase it was a different time a lot when like oh you know that's probably shouldn't have said that but it was a different time it was 12 years ago and it's that (laughs) same level of stuff I was I was not even in like I was out of high school yeah. And I'm 31. It's a different so, time. It's a different time. <laughs> it's a different time. Ten years. I, I, don't, I don't know how I feel ago. about referring to my senior year in high school as a different time. Like <laughs> <laughs> It makes me feel really yeah. old. <laughs> yeah. There are legitimately columns I read during the season where there were columnists that were like, yeah, she's great, but like, she's not like Kobe, though. What does that even mean? <laughs> like, but that was what the article's like, but she's not like, let's not, she's not as big a star as Kobe Bryant, who's been established in the market for over a decade. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Sit down, Plashy. Anyway. She's no Kobe. Like, what, do you, <laughs> what does that even mean? For goodness sake. Uh, clearly, it's been established that she's Magic Johnson, Wil- Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, so maybe sit down. James Worthy, <laughs> Bob McAdoo, you can name all of them. Anyway, um, let's go back to the December matchup. So Wiggins scores six straight points in the final two minutes of that matchup of regulation. And this puts Stanford ahead. But it happened to be six points, two missed Wiggins free throws allow Parker to get a rebound and score with seven seconds left in regulation oh. to force the overtime. In overtime, missed mind, this free is, throws. This missed is in free December. throws that, that yeah. lead to you having to go to overtime. Like, it's you talk feeling. about momentum shifts. That's a huge momentum yeah. shift and a big, yeah. like, Big time, like, like cloud over your head as you but head this is, into. <laughs> this okay. is where the difference of these two losses is. In, sorry, go ahead, Logan. I haven't run the numbers on this, but teams that miss extra points and miss late, uh, late free throws, like especially back to back free throws, I'm pretty sure they lose 99% of the time. Or, uh, hold like, Blake Snell too early. Yeah. Yeah. Or just, yeah. Anytime you, you Whatever bench the your baseball best player. equivalent is. Right. Yeah. Anytime you bench your best player, that you usually lose. But those, those are the two things that I see you, to, to, yeah. to Kyle's point. Like if you see two missed free throws, even though you still have an overtime period, aren't you thinking like, we're going to lose this game? Like there's yeah. certain types of it. plays that when you see them, you just kind of go, okay, well it's over. Like, yeah, yeah overtime, but it's done. Yeah. There's, there's no beating. The, the Ray Which, Allen three, right? That was like, a, they're, they're losing this series. Yeah. Which <laughs> adds to the, narrative of these two losses is you had LSU who won comfortably with 16. You have a Stanford team that looked like they were going to make a late win happen. Parker finds a way to tie it and send it to overtime. And it's all the more interesting because this is when the reins get sent to sophomore guard, Roslyn gold on who scored nine of the Cardinal 10 points in overtime. Holds Parker to one bucket and one free throw. And they pull off the upset in overtime. Pretty fantastic stuff by Stanford there. Like, I don't know what else you can even ask for. Like, 
That's legit. Solid performance. <laughs> Parker had a really good game in her own right. She played heroic. They found a way through this. This is definitely a case where you can say, like, you just, you're not counting the Stanford team out. Which is a really cute narrative, if not for what actually happened. Because in the 17-minute mark of the first half of the national championship game, so we're now to the day we're talking about. It. So national title, Stanford has beaten Tennessee. They're human. We have a chance to make this happen. In the 17-minute mark, of the first half. So we're three minutes into the game. Uh, a Candace Wiggins three and a Goldenwood, a layup put Stanford ahead five to four on the next possession. Alexis Hornbuckle kicks a pass out to Shannon Bobbitt, who splashes a three puts Tennessee ahead seven to five and they wouldn't lose the lead again. They oh, beat wow. Stanford by, by 16, 64 to 48 Ooh. and take home their second consecutive national championship. That's convincing. They were. That's got to like just solidify. They were done uh, in everybody's around. mind who she was. Yeah, yeah. There's this. You know what? Let's let's do this now. Now I, I do have a quick question for you guys because because one thing that's interesting about the WNBA experience, you know, when you're a fan of the MNBA and you watch that, there's an NBA Finals, and then we'll roll into a draft after a few months. And what's interesting about the women's game is there's a very quick window between the end of the college season and the WNBA draft because, you know, we right. have a season rolling in. I was curious if you guys wanted to take a guess at how long that gap was. In 2008? For, uh, in this case, from from the end of this game to the, tw- the 2008 WNBA draft. Keep in mind, I want to s- you, you're taking time to scout, you're taking time to, to get things prepped, travel. You know, there's a lot of things that happen in these draft events. Man, um... I want to say probably like two weeks. Yeah, I'm assuming it's it's going to be short, but because of the lead up that you're, I feel like you're hinting at an absurdly short turnaround. I'm going to say a a week. A week, yeah. Less than 24 hours after (laughs) no winning her second NCAA (laughs) title, the Los Angeles Sparks select Candace Parker with the first pick in the 2008. WNBA draft. With the first pick in the 2008 WNBA draft, the Los Angeles Sparks select Candace Parker from the University of Tennessee. Like, what's the last 15 hours been like for you? It's been the most amazing time of my life. Obviously, winning the national championship last night and then having to switch gears and come back this morning. And it's just been amazing. You know, I've dreamed of playing in the WNBA and I've had the opportunity to actually look up to a league and, and dream of playing in a league. The WNBA is just a, a great for women's basketball and I'm just excited to be you know drafted into it well draft day is over I'm exhausted I'm hungry and I'm really excited to get out to LA and ball it out with Lisa Leslie and the Sparks I'll see you later from from leaving the national title game there's a quote from from Candace Parker from leaving the national title game to entering the venue for the draft 15 hours 
Oh my word. You know, um, because this is such a weird year in, in 2020 when we're recording this, uh, we, we just had the NBA draft a couple days ago and now the NBA season is kind of looming. It's, there's not like this, the typical like off season and summer league and fall ball and stuff. And I like it. And I like that the WNBA is kind of nice. It. It's just like we're going to hop like right it's, into it's it. It's not obviously it's not quite so absurd as 15 hours. Like you, you have time to get a shower um, in today's you know college ball. But like the NCAA women's tournament and then the draft and yeah. then like launching into the season. I kind of like little, that it's like, boom, yeah. boom, let's go. There's like, a little like intrigue to that right now where like the NBA is kind of having a whole off season in like two days. Yeah, and it's that interest of like we just had a draft out of nowhere, right? And then out of all of a sudden, uh, like anyone who's super into the Twitter world that is the like NBA free agency, like that was like two hours. It was just like, okay, we got to get all this done. Who's, who's signing where? Yeah. And so it was almost sort of fun because you didn't have to do the stretch along. But I mean, to to lift your trophy, turn around. Luckily, these were in fairly close venues, so it wasn't too much travel, but. Then you go and make it there, and this is a whole different setting, right? Because you're in presentation mode, so you're putting on your best attire. You're getting yourself dolled up. It's draft day. This is a huge moment. You're most likely going number one. But I want to add a little bit to this. Who are the Who are the main three players we're talking about in this draft? The top picture: Candace Wiggins, Sylvia Fowles, Candace Parker. You guys know how draft days work. It's a lot of promos. It's a lot of standing together with the basic picks and doing photo ops. <laughs> Can you imagine yeah, yeah, being yeah. Candace Wiggins? You just heartbreakingly lost the like national the title before. And you have to take the same route that Candace Parker takes. Turn around, get ready, and you've got to face <laughs> that counterpart. Next stand her. next to yeah. her in photos. Hey, and how's on, things going? And then imagine that. being Sylvia Fowles who shows up. <laughs> like, oh, hey, Candace. Oh, hey. You know, want a chip? How are you? Like, it's, there's something about like that day. Like, it's it's stressful for Candace. Imagine it for those other people that are like, I just lost, and now I have to go and act happy. Like, this sucks. On top of that, you've got the emotions of your college career ending, which even if you know you're going on to the pros, has to be you know that's got to be a sensitive yeah. 15 hours, right? And on top of that, imagine how many people came up to Candace Parker congratulating her on the chip. Congratulating her on, on her like probable number one selection and being within hearing distance of like that like like Sylvie Fowles, SEC Player of the Year, made the semifinals like every year of her college career and didn't get to the championship game. She's got to be fifteen yeah. feet away from like that's supposed to be me. Like <laughs> it's like it's like you're at a party and your ex just walked in with a much more handsome partner. And everyone's running up to them like, oh, my well, gosh, you're so better off. No, it's it's you're like so they got engaged at the party were. and everyone's yeah. congratulating them on their like pending marriage. Can I see like, the ring? Yeah, this is the worst. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's like it. It must. And you then have to watch her go first in the draft ahead of you. Yeah, it's like, could it get any worse? At some point, is someone just like and Candace wins a new car? Like, like. No, is there a way no, to keep piling on? Like, can I, I get a win? Can I get one? Like, I know there's more to it than this, but no wonder Sylvia Fowles is like, shut up, Chicago. Like, she, <laughs> she didn't even want to be yeah. there. Like, stupid. <laughs> there's a part of you, like, this may not have been in Sylvia Fowles' head. I'm not trying to put words in her mouth, but there's a part of you that wonders, like, I got to get to Minnesota. Cause I got I to gotta find a way to win a title for Candace. Like, yeah. I got to. 
Yeah. If I could at least get that WNBA trophy before her, I'll feel good about that. Nobody like, who's nobody who's ever broken up with anyone has ever thought like, I hope they get married first. Like, <laughs> you want to be the one who like gets the next thing. You yeah, because then when get, they gets the next then, thing when, then when they have the good moment, you can be like, you know what? Good for you. Yeah, yeah, good for you because I'm happy. I've got cute. what I want. Good for you finally and, coming around. And, and Sylvia Fowles and Candace Wiggins have just been like. Just, just behind Candace for like two, three years now. I get like, upset yeah. when they open up a shopping line for the people behind me. Like, I can't imagine. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's that's my level of tolerance. It's like, oh man, if my timing <laughs> is just a little better. You know what the pettiest version of this is? Because this happened to me this week. I went and bought like. Uh, you know, we're expecting, and so my wife has a very specific sherbet she wants. And I went and got it from the store, and it was straight up in the weekly ad the next day. <laughs> like it was two so for you, five the next missed, day. And you, I'm like, You've you missed out it. on like 45 cents of savings. And exactly. Like I wanted like, to go to the store this. and be like, You owe me 76 cents. Like, that's mine. <laughs> this is not, you should have said something. This is on you, cashier. You should have said, You knew this was happening come back tomorrow. tomorrow if you come back next year, you can go to Atlanta and not get defunct. Like the, the comments probably feel exactly <laughs> like this. Uh, yeah. Like it's, it's just like that pet that lives that's there. So all to say crazy 24 hour period, Candace Parker officially an LA spark. It goes first in the draft. Uh, just for reference sake, we talked about this a little bit, but of course fouls goes second to the Chicago sky. Wiggins goes third to the Minnesota Lynx. Uh, for reference, Alexis Hornbuckle goes fourth to the Detroit Shock. Uh, and just oh. for fun, uh, number, uh, 22nd pick to the Seattle Storm, Ellie Quigley, 25th pick to the Phoenix Mercury, Leilani Mitchell. This was a super fun draft. A lot of good stuff happening. That's right. So, I, every time I see Ali Quigley in, in a draft, I, rem- I, I know she was drafted in the second round, but I forget that it was Seattle. It always makes me happy. Yeah. Yeah. She actually, I mean, she went to Seattle and then Phoenix and well, she was cut from Seattle mm-hmm. um, and then went to Phoenix and was cut and then actually like didn't do anything for, well, she was overseas, like didn't play in the league for a couple of seasons. And then Chicago was like, Hey, she's doing really well over there. Let's bring her back. And now look at everything that Allie Quigley's doing, you know, like all-star level. Like it's crazy to see that. Even teams like Seattle Storm, who are at the top of the league right now, have not, you know, always held on to, you know, eventually the, hard, the best players. Hard to get the draft you know, right. Yep. You know what, Kyle? It's almost as if she has a really intriguing story. <laughs> I was thinking someone a similar should, uh, thing. <laughs> it's almost as if someone should be telling that story eventually. I actually, someone I have a list platform. of, I, ha- I have a list of uh, W history ideas that I've been compiling that I'll be sending over to you guys at the end of this episode. I'm so, uh, <laughs> so on board for for a Quiggles. W I could spend <laughs> very much into that conservatively eight hours talking about Ali Quigley. <laughs> so. That's warm up. That's hors d'oeuvres. Like, <laughs> yeah. and then, then if you add Vandersloot to the mix, yeah. If it, like uh, I, I could spend yeah, a day just on three point contest and horse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in very much in. Yeah. Who knows? We have a lot of. T- which, by the way, if you, there's so many great ideas out there, if you listeners happen to have one, find us on Twitter. Comment where you listen to your podcast. Get a hold of us somehow. 
fur pelt, smoke signals, whatever it is, let us know. We want to hear what ideas you've got. Uh, please We're don't use it. Don't use smoke signals. I don't know how to read them. So really, <laughs> Logan, quick, read a book. <laughs> draft, draft I can't read, over, Kyle. Know, <laughs> draft nights over. We know where everyone is going. This is super random, but this was just a. I, I was reading through a bunch of draft articles, and I just had to share this because it came out of nowhere. And I know it's random, and it's strange, but um, <laughs> a really strange highlight of draft night, like a, a narrative that came up in a bunch of articles, was um, was Sylvia Fowles attire for the event. It's not even like she she didn't pull like a Lady Gaga and wear like a meat dress or anything like this. It's simply. She sported a black pinstriped fedora with her ensemble. And I want to bear in mind, this is 2008. Where, like, what I call oh. the Jason Mraz isn't, like, that off of a look. Like, but, I but this like was, it. I'm, this, I'm looking at it right this now. This stood out, and people were like, she had the best look of the night because she had this fedora. So she's So when asked why she chose that for her draft day outfit, she says, while laughing, quote, I've had it for a while, and my best friend told me I should pull it out because it makes me look fly. Close quote. Oh, my this gosh, is the most I I've ever liked Sylvia Fowles. So Obviously, much. people know I have a lot of opinions because of the holdout and stuff. But like, I'm very steadily <laughs> becoming a Sylvia Fowles fan after that quote. I it's love a, that quote so much. That's my favorite pretty, quote of all the research I've done so far. It's pretty demoralizing <laughs> that she wore what I wore to prom, and she wore it ten times better. <laughs> I just, I just sent it to our chat. <laughs> oh, these are for you. Um, oh man, that's amazing. I did like this is up there with like I still don't know who that is. Sorry, like of great quotes in W history of like she said it makes me look fly. A couple notes I want to make before I put a wrap on this thing. So obviously this is a huge night for Parker, huge night for the Sparks. It's a huge night for the sport in general for a lot of reasons. We've talked about all of the hype that preceded this, the recognizability that that Parker brought in. This is something that's been highly anticipated. As a result of Parker going to the Sparks in the draft, here's a couple of very specific metrics that came up. The Sparks saw a 7x increase in season ticket sales year on year. And some of that can be coupled with the return of Lisa Leslie, but this happens pretty immediately after the draft. So it's pretty well connected to this announcement. 7X increase. It's pretty big. Parker breaks the WNBA rookie jersey sales record in one week. Uh, so <laughs> the full year as a rookie, she got it in a week, seven days um, from its availability, at least. Parker's WNBA.com player page sees 70,000 hits in the first week post-draft. So seven days post-draft. Uh, that she hit, she has an unreal amount of hits to her website. Of course, it's 2008, so that's a huge number at that point for definite. Um, I just accidentally skipped way far ahead on my notes. Here we go again. Yeah. So that's obviously a, a pretty huge number and a, um, you know, impressive, but it's more interesting to consider she's not only the top traffic getter at the time for WNBA players. She only, at this time, equivalent-wise, she only trailed two MNBA players. Wow. So, so she preceded player pages for all but two players. I want you, out of curiosity, to guess which players those were. Are these, this is not just draftees, this is across, like, all of it, this right? This is all, yeah, all league players. 2008? 
I got to say, Kobe. I would say like Kobe and LeBron. Kobe's one. LeBron is not the other one. In 2008. This is, this is somewhat shocking, but if you remember the 2008 season, it actually makes some sense. Is it Kevin Durant? Kevin Durant. It's not Kevin Durant. Oh, I thought I had that. One more guy. Yeah, one more guy. Uh, 2008 would be Chris Paul. Chris Paul. Chris Paul was really? very nearly the 2008 MVP in the league that year. Interesting. And like, I forgot all about this that. was when he was going to be like a hornet or whatever for life. Like he was, right. he carried a lot of, uh, this was when like, is it him or Darren Williams? They were like the new young oh, the, thing at the time. Yeah. The new. Yeah. But it shocked me at first. Like that's random. I mean, I know he's popular, but really? Cause you would naturally think of the time Kobe LeBron. No, Kobe Bryant, Chris Paul, Candace Parker. That's uh, awesome. And, you know, pretty amazing number. A couple more here. Uh, WNBA breaks their monthly traffic record, which makes a lot of sense. They also uh, broke their daily record upwards of like a dozen times during that span. So that's how much how much more traffic they got. Parker signs an endorsement deal with Gatorade and Adidas uh, within her first week post draft. Wow. Uh, Adidas, by the way, she still contracts with to this day. Uh, there was there. This was a popular time for Adidas, but a lot of people jumped ship to Nike over the last decade or so. She's still in Adidas uh, loyalist, which is pretty cool. And of course, the Sparks uh, coming off a 10 and 24 season the year before are voted by uh, GMs across the league as the odds on favorite to win the WNBA championship. Wow. Candace has yet to play a single game. So that's, I, I think. And, just, and Lisa Leslie's coming off of a pregnancy. Right. Recounting her college career, like it makes a lot of sense, but that really puts you in the shoes of like, you got to remember yeah. what kind of power her brand must have held for that to immediately be like, considering they're, they're going to win a the great shock team, a Diana Taurasi championship team in that, Phoenix. That's what I was thinking was the Penny Taylor have, and Diana Taurasi trio. Like, Lauren, you have Lauren Jackson, Subert in Seattle who are still red hot looking to, to rekindle some energy there. Uh, Tamiki Catchings is very much in the middle of her prime in Indiana. Yep. The fever were good, but it's the sparks. Like that's, it's so oh. intriguing. Now, of course, her game at the college level. And her team's goal in Knoxville both met and exceeded expectations. And her WNBA buzz so far has met and exceeded expectations. We read through all the metrics. The question at this point remains if her WNBA game would actually meet and possibly exceed expectations. Of course, these expectations, as you can see, get loftier and loftier by the day. And it ties to the closing quote here, which <clears throat> comes from Parker herself. The night of the draft, she says, quote, our class, talking about her and Fowles and Wiggins and, and company, had the responsibility to raise the bar. We raised the bar in college drastically, but in the WNBA, uh, it, it's going to come down to these players, these rivalries. So she's talking about how, like, these are the impetus. So she understands the expectation. The question remains, does does the proof lie in the pudding? She was able to meet those expectations in UConn. Can the hype actually live up in L.A. in her WNBA career? And we will talk all about that on the next episode of W History. Love Part it. Two. I was planning on this being a one-parter. It's one season. It's one year, right? No, this sucker gets meaty.
This gets love it, dude. This gets good. well, this gets and we've exciting. got the Olympics in the middle of it too. Yeah, so. this gets exciting. This gets prestigious. This gets violent. This is a very interesting year of basketball uh, that we're going to learn all about. So if you enjoyed oh, this, yeah, we even got the a brawl little bit too. If yep, if yep, if you know anything about W history, you want to turn into episode episode two. Seems to be when all the heat shows up. I don't know if you guys noticed. <laughs> yeah, it's. We then we have like a part three cooldown. I don't know if there'll be a part three, but we'll see. So, any any last closing thoughts here? I learned a lot. Just, yeah, I feel like I learned a lot, and I and it was nice <laughs> feel, to revisit like, Tennessee being uh, a power in women's basketball. And oh kind man, of that era watch of all the highlights happening. on YouTube. Really, I it's fun stuff. I, I always love because it always provides better context. Like the best thing that I've loved about these W history episodes so far is the context that it provides for the current NBA landscape. Like knowing this history makes you appreciate a little bit more. Like you even already alluded to the the Minnesota LA rivalries. You know, over yeah. those those couple uh, championship seasons, I think that this. There's just other layers that yeah. are are out there all over the place, and I, it just it's cool. It adds a lot of depth to mm-hmm. your just your overall WNBA understanding of the current yeah you know landscape. It also it colors the eras of the players in the league better. Like if you're if you're like us and you get into the league, kind of you, you dive in head first and and you kind of soak up like here are the current storylines and here's who's on what team. You might not know like certain teams might have drafted that player and it didn't work out there and they end up somewhere else. And um, think about, you know, it seems like Candace Parker was in college kind of a long time ago. Diana Taurasi and Sue Bird had already won championships by the time she got to the league, like players that are playing now, like, and, and meaningful, you know, putting in meaningful uh, championship runs. Some of these players go way back. Other ones are a little bit newer than maybe you realize. So I think that's also really interesting. No, it's the connections here are pretty amazing. And I will say, like, this has been a lot of fun to research. With the comments, it was super fun because I just feel like I was immersing myself in a world I hadn't really dipped many toes in. The fact that, like, this was a vivid part of point in my life. Like, this was right first year of, like, I just out of high school, first year of college. Like, I'm in tune. I've never been so in tune to everything going on around me in the world. Or the world of sports, the world of entertainment. Like I'm as I'm so out of touch today. I don't even know the names of any of these people doing versus episodes. I don't know any of that. But like at the time, <laughs> I was pretty in tune here, so it's kind of fun leaning out. And like this is on top of what's already a pretty bonkers year in sports in 08. 08 was a really intriguing year. Um, and then that's on top of like the world of L. I mean, this this comes on the heels of. You know, their counterpart, the Lakers, uh, just trading Kwame Brown for Pau Gasol. So all of a sudden, the last time the Sparks were a huge discussion point were when the Lakers were also successful. You're starting to see that again. All of a sudden, you see the build of these two programs. Uh, we talked about how the men's tournament went. Tiger Woods is about to win a very dramatic U.S. Open. Like, 2008 is a very fun sports year. Um and this was such a huge part of it. I remember talking about Candace with friends in school at the time. And so to be able to really look back, back on it and take the deep dive is pretty freaking cool. Thank you so much for listening and enjoying this episode of W History with us. I'm Steve Schwarzman. I'm Kyle Haywood. I'm Logan Jones. And we catch you next time. <laughs>